Welcome to Ritual of Practice Podcast. I am your host, Angela Houghton. The intention of this podcast is to inspire your practice. I thought it would be fun to offer stories of how different people integrate practice in their lives. I am so appreciative of the humans that share their experience on this podcast and to you, listener, for joining us. May you show up for what lights you up. Today on the podcast, I'm in the studio with my friend Mel Hare. Mel lives in Moab, Utah, where he lives on a ranch with many horses. And Mel shares with us that there was a time where he didn't have horses in his life at all. And so this story is one of the evolution of saying, really saying yes to what was lighting him up, to what was inspiring him. And I don't know that Mel realizes how many people he inspires just in the way that he shows up in the world, not with just horses, but with humans as well. There's so much to be inspired by in this conversation. And thank you so much for being here to listen. Hi, I'm here in the studio today with my friend, Mel Hare. Mel lives in Moab, Utah, and I started doing uh, horse lessons. I call it horse play now. Um, I think we'll probably do a lot of referring to horsemanship on the episode today. Uh, but I started doing horse lessons with Mel about five or six years ago. I'm super honored to have him in the studio with me to have a conversation about his journey and so that he can share his story with the listeners. Welcome, Mel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. So my first question just really takes it back to the beginning. Uh, and that is what initially sparked your interest? And there's kind of a, a breakdown in questions as we get going. But okay. what was the initial thing that sparked your interest in horseplay? Well, yeah, that's the big mystery for sure. Um, I was living in Seattle, happy with a good job and a house. And well, here I can tell you, I, uh, as a favor to one of my long, I was a personal trainer at a club downtown and uh, as a favor to a longstanding client of mine, I went to her friend's house in the evening after work to help her. She had a home gym and I was going to help her with some stuff. And I go in the, uh, her house and it's like, uh, the million, the, what's that? The cowboy bar in Montana and in, in Wyoming, the million dollar cowboy bar in Jackson hole. It's all horse stuff and, and like wood furniture. And I'm in Seattle where it's, nothing like that. You know, I was living in the city and, and she had horse saddles for uh, bar stools and just, every, you know, bridles and everything on the walls. And it just kind of made me remember horses. Mm. And at true to form, I was starting to start to wane with the uh, personal training. Um, it was getting a little bit old and stale. And then the next thing happened was that I went to a flea market and I actually bought a Western saddle. I left I don't need it. You know, what am I going to spend the money for that? And then I went to my car and I actually went all the way back in and ended up buying it. How much was it? 80 bucks. 80 bucks. Yeah. And when you say, I want to kind of take it back for a second, because I heard you say, I remembered horses. So you see all this horse paraphernalia. Yes. <laughs> and it made you remember. So that actually makes me curious as what are you oh, even further back? Yeah. yeah. So when, when I have a older sister, two years older, and she was always horse crazy. And so, horse crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I just, I was two years younger. So wherever she went, I went also. And, you know, the uh, Johnny West and 
the, the Thunderbolt was his horse, little play. They're pretty tall, actually, for play toys. Um, they came with saddles and bridles, and uh, she had all everything. And so it was one some of the things we did together. And then when we got a little older, um, we found a somebody found a uh, $5 an hour rental place. And this is in South Florida. So this is just a big pasture land. And it was a rental stable for horses. And she had two friends that were her age from down the street. And we would convince my dad to get up early on a Sunday morning because we wanted to get there. Well, it was cool. This is in Florida. It's hot year round. And be first there. So the horses were fresh. And um, we'd give our $5 for the week and go ride for an hour out. In, and you just there was just a cowboy that, out there that saddled the horses and then he turned you loose and you went out in these big pastures and we just bombed around and um, it was just a lot of fun. You know? So no formal instruction. They're just like, here's a horse, get on. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just hang on, really. That's how I learned to ride. I thought that was riding. It was just, you just stayed up top however you could. <laughs> and then over time, um, I learned that, geez, I don't, I wonder if I ever took, oh, I did go to a, my sister went to a um, overnight camp in North Carolina. There was, a, we had a cousin who, well, I, we called him cousin. We called aunts, people that weren't really our aunt and uncle, you know, but we, as kids, we called them that. And she lived up in North Carolina and my sister went up to this horse camp. Well, I went to the day camp part of it. And um, that was my only formal like English lesson. Of course, I was younger than everybody, um, male, and it's all, you know, you know horses is 99% female. And Really? Yeah. You, just in, <laughs> you mean in that particular discipline? Or? Well, I think just in general, if you really added the numbers up, I think it would be mostly female. Interesting. So, so and then it, that was a very English barn, which I would say is more female. And I, I could be dead wrong on that at this point. So don't quote me. <laughs> but, um, How old were you? Roughly. I must have been like 10. Okay. Somewhere right in there. And so that was, you know, they had a horse on a lunge line. They threw you up there bareback with nothing and then sent it out at walk, trot and canter around. And you, and again, you just stayed on, you know, and I was really into staying on. So I made it happen. And, I, and it just reinforced like that's riding as you squeeze the heck out of them to stay on. Well, that backfired later. And um, it was one of one. So can I jump forward? Yeah. I was in college and they had a uh, equestrian club. And so for like $500 for the semester, you could, same thing. You just went out, you looked at this board of horses and checked one off, went and got it. And um, saddled it and went out riding on this property. And, and this was in Tennessee, in East Tennessee. And I was, I picked this one horse and probably who knows why. And when I got on him, it was just like, like a turbo shot. Like he just took off and we would just go, we'd get up on like this little mesa and just go left and then right. And then one time I took him like, surely he'll stop before he goes down to the creek and just boom, like snowy river down into the creek under tree branches. And, and again, I, that was kind of how I knew how to ride. So I thought that was horses, you know, and, and then one day he was checked out and someone, as I was going out, someone was riding him in on a loose rein, just walking down the hill back to the barn. And I was like, 
wow, you can make him walk. And she's like, well, of course, you know, and, and I realized at that moment that it was me that was uh, causing him to, to race around like that. And, but even then I was still in my early twenties and I just kind of put that on in the, in my memory bank somewhere to pull out later when, when it was me or the horse as like, who's right or who's right here or who's, who's not giving the right information. I was like, it's probably me. Um, so just that one piece went into adding up much later on. So when you were choosing this, so did I hear you chose more to be with your sister or was it like you were actively choosing to go be with the horses for that camp? Yeah, no, it was the horses. It was the horses. That <laughs> for <time>. sure. And then, because <laughs> I thought, so she's a couple years older. And then when you're in college, you see, I just remember, it took me back to what I was, you know, looking at in college. So this was advertised somewhere and it caught your eye or were you seeking it out? This opportunity. Well, I must have been. I must have been seeking it. I could tell you for sure, but I must have been looking for. Um, I had a friend that went joined with me, so it could have been her idea. I'm not sure, but um, horses. I've always liked. I've always sought them out. Even when I lived in Seattle, I knew where the police horses were kept, and I would take the dogs and go oh. find them. Oh, <laughs> that's so sweet. Yeah. So yeah. they always uh, had some magic for mm -hmm. sure. And so you're in Seattle, coming back, like kind yeah. of swinging back there too. And you see all this woman's obviously yeah. into horses. And yeah. then what was your next move from that? Oh, gosh. I, um, <laughs> so now I'm on it. Like I've, I have, you know, now I'm, now I need a horse to go with the saddle. Oh, because you bought the horse, the, the saddle, saddle at the flea market. Yeah. And so I moved, um, I wanted a horse and I moved out of the city to Whidbey Island um, which is, I had, I had explored the area and it was so, I said, one day I, I like to live here and found a place, had to, um, outbid somebody even way back then. And the only reason I won that, the bid was that the, it was an estate sale and the father was living on the property in a camp trailer. And I said, he can stay through the winter and spring. And, um, he, cause he had a horse and, Probably nowhere to go. His son actually, I think, had a heart attack and, and just died in his sleep. So I got that property. It was three acres and a house and a beautiful old barn. And the beautiful out in front of me was a preserve and farmland and then Puget Sound and the Olympic Mountains. And it was amazing. Um, Do you miss it? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the trees terribly. Uh, I can't say I miss the mud and the, and the constant rain. But when it was pretty there, it was beautiful. Yeah, for sure. And then you could, well, even the trail riding was, it, it's so many trees, like you don't, it's not really a rain rain. It's like a misty rain a lot of times. So you could ride and not really be wet for mm. sure. Uh, but the horses were standing in mud for sure. Did you then start riding the father's horse or did you then pursue? N no, I found a, I couldn't decide on what kind of horse. And so now I'm just rolling with, you know, what comes into my mind, like, you know, what do I like? I like being up in the mountains. I like going for long trail rides or being in the woods, being on the beach. Like it was just another way to get out there. And, and so the horsemanship piece, um, that's the piece I couldn't tell you where it comes from. I knew that when I got a horse, I didn't just want to ride it. I wanted to know how to, to communicate with it. I wanted to know how to train it. I wanted to know how they thought and, um, that piece, I don't know where that came from and, but it was just there. So we, 
I had a girlfriend that moved in. She was, we were already living together. So she, we just moved out to this island and I actually got back in touch with my sister. We never, we weren't really that close. And, um, she just, she never quit horses where I kind of, I kind of dropped it and moved on except for my visits, you know, when I could find them. Mm-hmm. And, um, when I started looking for horses, I gave her a call and she told me, she said, whatever you do, don't buy an Arabian for your first horse. And I think I must've been looking at one, you know, because I knew that they could go long distance. I knew they were hardy. I knew they weren't giant animals, you know, and, and, uh, then I said, okay, I'll, if I never listen to you, I'll listen to you for this one thing. Because <laughs> <And laughs> we really, like, we hardly ever uh, communicated, really. Mm-hmm. She, she just, we just went separate ways. And so then I get on to a Mustang. What could be better for me that likes wolves and wild animals and than a Mustang? <laughs> and so there's a website. It's still out there. It's called Dream Horse. And you just put in all these parameters and go searching. And here was my horse that I bought was uh a, actually a pony size he was i didn't really know that at the time the picture the only picture was winter he's f- fully fuzzed with his long winter coat and he standing in like three feet of mud and i just knew it i'm like you know it was that kind of that captured animation where he i just knew that was the guy you know and so they were happy to sell him he had been adopted but he had gone to a rescue and i didn't know anything about i didn't know anything you know i knew how to stay on yeah <laughs> that's about it and he showed me that that's not always true either <laughs> so i bought him and um you know went borrowed this old man's trailer pulled it behind a forerunner which probably was like i didn't even think about it you know i just hooked it up and i drove seven hours didn't check the tires didn't do any of that stuff i do now and it all worked out and then i as the the woman is loading him in the back because clearly she knows I don't know anything, right? Can't put the halter on. I said, who, who, how has he been trained? Who should I follow? And she said, Pirelli and go to a clinic. And so um, I got home and there was a clinic on the Olympic Peninsula. Wow. And pretty much like in a couple weekends. And one, and I got home and I had like a two acre pasture and I got out there, put the bridle on him, which was a miracle that I could figure that out. Maybe I didn't even do that. And and I jumped on him and he just sat there. And <laughs> like already he knew that I didn't know anything, yeah. right? He's like, I'm not doing anything for you. <laughs> and so then that started. So I went to the clinic and, and I left him in the trailer as I'm signing up. And the, he's bumping around in the trailer and the clinician's like, whose horse is still in the trailer? And I'm just, you know, kind of shoot my arm up a tiny bit. Like he's, he's like, get him out of the trailer. And, and I was, I didn't know what to do. You know, it was funny. And then he, um, he wasn't, his problem was the reason he was at the rescue is you couldn't put a saddle on him. You could ride him bareback, but you couldn't saddle him. Well, in the clinic, it comes time for a saddle. And I had a bareback pad that I borrowed. I'm like, I don't have a saddle. Somebody let me use a bareback pad. And I put it on him and he, I asked him to do one thing and he just takes off like a rodeo horse, just bump, bump, up and down, up and down, like all the way around. And, and uh, the clinician's like, well, go get your horse, you know, and bring him back. And then I, then I just, I worked with him for, you know, three days and I kept going back. The whole barn was all Pirelli people, like all uh, people studying and trying to this, do this natural horsemanship. But at, at that time, this was, um, call it like 2000, uh, was a kind of a newer a newer brand of horsemanship. 
And so that's how, and then I got Lobo. So Lobo yeah. wasn't, there's was Lobo the first horse? Yes. Or, okay. He was okay. the first horse I owned. Okay. Yes. So Lobo is the one that you couldn't put a saddle on and you were at the Yeah, place. yeah, okay. yeah. That was him. And I used to go back to work. So I still commuted to the city an hour and a half, 30 minutes to the ferry, 30 minutes on the ferry and 30 minutes oh. on the other side. And um, I was so tired. I, I, could, I would fall asleep in the shower in the morning. You know, I had the work started for me at 6 a.m. So I was an early rise. And but then, you know, I'd go riding on the weekends and um, I'd come back to work and my face would be all scratched up from. So he was very his nickname was Chicken Little. He was very afraid. And so we would I could get him so far away from the house because I could get to a few minor trails from the house. And he, then he would just turn around and run home. And I never knew exactly where that was. And I just kept trying to do it. You know, I'm not, I just, I was like, okay, I got a horse. I'm going to ride it. And, and uh, he would just soup, like turn around on a dime and just go bombing back to the house. Most of the time I just hung on and the, and the branches would rake me. And only there was one kind of, kind of low tree that he kind of had to jog around. And if I thought, it was going to knock me in the knees. I would jump off and then just meet him back at the house. <laughs> and he just ran home. So it was kind of not, it wasn't a real busy place, but um, just, yeah, that was our start. Just to give the listeners some perspective. So um, the starting this journey, uh, or I, I would say maybe the next chapter of this journey with Lobo. And now to bring them to today, how many horses do you have today? I actually don't even. Oh, geez. I think between Marcy and I, we have nine. Nine. <laughs> Yeah. Just to give the listeners some perspective. Yeah. Yeah. He was, so he was the first and I went through this natural horsemanship training with him. So I didn't know anything about how a horse thought and how to get it to do what you want. I, you know, you kind of think it just flows like a dog. I could, you know, I could get a dog to sit and stay and, and uh, it's not anything like that. That first of all, they're not fellow predators, they're prey animals. And so they already look at you with a little bit of wariness and Lobo being had been feral and had been maybe misunderstood when he first started with people um, was even more wary. So it's like everything I did, he just would run away. And, and it was a real lesson for me to start to understand him. And I would, and so here's how it kind of worked. I, I, at the time there's basically very, internet is not huge so you ordered i think it was still vhs tapes and it, like a, a program uh level one and level two was like a deal if you got them together from this pirelli natural horsemanship and you got you know i got a halter and a lead rope and what they call a carrot stick i think i ordered a saddle pad too at the same time and i'm gone for the whole day the fedex guy puts it inside the gate. My whole fence, my whole house is fenced off. I have dogs. I think at that time, maybe three or four dogs. And one of them was very terrible with his separation anxiety. Like oh. I would come home and my, my comforter from my bed, which was in the king size bed in the very back of the house, the comforter would be out in the yard, like off the bed, down the hallway, oh. out the dog door and up into the yard. And like a huge um, Eddie Bauer, like suede, you know, <laughs> Manly, heavy, <laughs> heavy comfort, comforter. And so he got the package when it showed up that day and, oh, the, no. and the nice thick foam felt pad, like snow all over the yard, all the DVDs, tapes everywhere, you know? Oh, no. And so it was a, a little bit of a setback, but we 
you know, we carried on and it, but it had booklets to it. And so I couldn't watch anything like how to do anything. And it wasn't like, you just didn't reorder stuff, you know, back then, like you do now. And it was just these little book booklets that would fit in your jean pocket and you'd open it and it would be like, okay, the friendly game, you know, this is what you do. And you pick up your stick and string and you kind of lob it over the horse's back and around his legs. And you're, the idea is that you're showing him that it's not a whip. You know, it's a tool for communication and that you, you need to use it around him and with him, but it's not going to hurt him. Well, I went, I go like, whoop, one like this and Lobo's like, you know, back to the part. And then I'm like, God, oh, what does it look like that in the book? You know, and of course, when I finally did get videos, they're all kind of the end game. Like this is where you end up, right? Not like this is the process along the way, which is completely different than where you end up. And so it was always, I was always scratching my head. So you didn't ever rebuy the videos. You just used the books? Um, and the clinics. And then oh, I would go live. Yeah, okay. Right. I almost got fired several times because I would, these clinics became like, I, when I go down a rabbit hole, I'd go. And so I just would like cross off my schedule at work. Like nobody could sign up and I would be gone for Monday and Thursday, Friday and the weekend, you know, and, and they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> can't do that you know you can't just cross your name off the schedule but you did <laughs> i did it. yeah hung in there by by a thread um and then you want me to just keep going well so i i'm curious if you got when you got your next horse going um or if you if well the girlfriend had a horse so we always had two horses at okay. the place and then those kind of rotated one one turned out to have terrible arthritis so i traded him for uh, a uh, thoroughbred that had, was also just kind of a pasture pet, but like eating somebody's field down because in, in that area, the grass just grows like crazy. And he was uh, like, you would put a halter on him and his all his veins would like pop out on his body because he thought he was going to the race to the starting gate, you know? So he was a disaster too. Uh, I forget his name, Tony. I, I think I renamed him something, but... I didn't know what to do with him either. He's the opposite of the horse I have. So right away, I get these like horses that I just have no idea how to proceed forward, except to hang in there with clinics, you know, and I'm sure people said, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. You know, it'll make sense. Um, as you, and it's surely enough. It was really the people that I connected with uh, in uh, Squim, which is on the over by Olympic National Park. There, that's where I kept going. So when I when I kept crossing my name out of the schedule, I would just go there for the weekend. And what, what is Squim? It's a town. It's, it's a, a town. Port okay. Angeles, Squim, uh, Port Townsend is kind of on the. Um, you kind of look at Canada if you're out on that side. So you made a, a, a so, network of friends there that yeah. were interested in horses. And again, I had to take a ferry there, so I have to. Um, everything is here's an, here's another good lesson from Lobo. So you have to, you have to get to the, and this is a very small ferry and I have a truck and a trailer at this point. And, um, you have to get there early, especially on the weekend, if you want to get a slot, otherwise you wait two hours, you know? Wow. And it's, so it's not like you get your dog and you throw the leash in the truck and you go, you, this is like load your saddle, load your feed. If you're going for the weekend, hook your truck and trailer up, um, get your kit together, you know, and, and everything. And so I'm late and I've, and I'm hustling and I'm probably cursing because I can't get the truck lined up with the trailer. And I turn to go to get the horse and he's like as far away in the back of the pasture, just both ears like looking at me like I don't want any part of that. You know? And and then, of course, at the time, I'm like, 
oh, you turd, you know, you, but I also at the same, at the same breath, I'm aware enough to know that I caused that problem, you know, mm -hmm. and that it was my energy or my hurriedness that he didn't want, really want to be around. Mm -hmm. He was a really good teacher. You know, they're very sensitive mm -hmm. and, and as a prey animal, they have to be. And, and we're usually not like, I, I kind of had a, like a perfectionist bug, you know, like if I, if I wanted to learn how to do something with the horse, I just would drill it and and like, we're going to do this, you know, and it's totally not the right move for them. And he taught me that horses in general taught me to drop that right away. You know, like they just don't care what my agenda is, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, he was very good at that because he was, so you had to be, you had to be fair and you had to move slowly with him or he just left. And that's just how we, how we evolved together. What I'm hearing, Mel, is such deep commitment though, to this journey. Once you took that bigger step of buying the saddle. Yes. At the flea market, like I'm hearing just so much commitment between buying the land and getting Lobo and then starting the, the, the Pirelli training and taking time off work. That's just, and <laughs> riding the ferry and just all that, that time and setting your life up to support, you know, incorporating this, uh, just feels like a lot of commitment. Yeah. But at the time you don't, I don't, I don't see, I didn't see it at that. It was, I was just jumping into something new and mm. exciting and rewarding. Yeah. I think part of, you know, the some, learning something new was part of it to me. It was with animals, which are, were way, I kind of now when I say, you know, I, I left training people for training horses and, mm -hmm. and horses are way easier, you know, that it, they're not really because you can't speak the same language, but maybe energetically for me personally, they're better. You know, they, they're just, there's no BS. There's no, um, agenda you know they really try hard to understand me as well and and to um get along you know and and really what i call a very fragile relationship when it's at its best um, just because of that predator prey mix so yeah it was i guess it, it was a lot so what happened next was that i said i want to do this all the time. time. Yeah. This, like I was really getting weighed down from the job and, you know, horses cost a lot of money and uh, the commuting was, I wasn't really making any money with all that going to the city. And so I sold my house and bought a living quarter trailer, the one I still have and house sat for this farm that I was going to while they went and did this new natural horsemanship program. And then when they came back, I left to do the next round of it. And, uh, and it was in Florida, which is where I'm from. So I could, and it was very close to where my mother was living. So it was an easy choice. And so I took six weeks of how to train your horse. And with my one little Mustang that I really didn't know how to ride well, you know, and cause everything was a runaway from when I did ride him. And I think I'm a horse trainer, you know, like I come out of that, like I, I got something now, you know, I'm going to go work. And I headed back out west. I thought I had a job. It fell through on the way back out west. And I stopped at a place to rest. And it so happened to be that that person who owned that facility had a great friend who was also a Pirelli student. And I said, "Can are you hiring? I could use some work. And so she hired me for the summer. Um, and, and there I really rode, rode, rode all summer. And um, in the mountains, I got to be a much better rider. And 
Um, then I went back to Florida the next winter. So I was kind of bouncing from farm to farm and just learning mm -hmm. and really learning, not what you learn with one little horse that loves you already, but from all these different kinds of horses with different problems from different backgrounds and how to, you know, get along with them. And, and m mostly it was the people I worked for were buy and sell. So they were always leaving, going somewhere, except for the one I bought. <laughs> Because he was so, my second horse is a, was an Arab. Okay. Okay. And so from this first woman I met, she saw I had a three horse trailer and only one horse. She was a horse trader. She was going to fill it. And I, he came in from an auction. So that was what she did. She'd go to auction. She'd go to racetracks and she would buy horses and then um, resell them for, for, so she bought them for a thousand dollars. She only sold them for three to 5,000, but she did 20 a month. And my job was to take them out and kind of evaluate them. And if they were, get them used to crossing creeks or whatever they weren't good at. And um, it was, I was like in heaven, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm getting paid for this and I'm riding in the mountains, which was my, really my number one goal. And um, I have these beautiful animals and meeting all these great people. And I just was soaking it up. And I was moving around, so I wasn't staying in one place, which was, which I like also up until now. I think that um, listening to you talk and, and kind of like feeling it inside, that inspiration might be a better word. You were inspired. Does that feel more resonant? Because from the outside, it just sounds like big commitment, like big life changes. Oh, yeah. But I, then I'm thinking about it and I'm like, well, you would have had to be really inspired. <laughs> it sounds yes. like to keep yes. going and to keep making these big choices. Yes. Well, I think. At the other end, before this, and the the reason I was guided maybe towards the woman with the tack in the Western saddle was that something like the training was dying for me. And I had been doing it 10 years and I was kind of at this place where you either you either go to work and do the same thing every day, generally with the same people, because once you once you establish a relationship, you keep them for a long time, which was great. I really loved that piece of it but i started like counting reins a lot the swipes of my like i was counting reps for people that was really what i did you know and or or count minutes on, on if we're doing an interval or something and so i would count the swipes of my windshield wiper one two three or the the turns of the tuna can one two like i just couldn't stop counting and i was like this is this is driving me crazy you know like this is getting really old and so the when something new needed to come in, it wasn't because I was choosing it because I already had something new. So this part was dying. You know, this part was over as far as I was at the point where circle back to this, that um, I either would have had to really jump in to like start my own gym and then go through all the marketing, you know, that and the detail and the commitment to something like that when I wasn't really that happy doing it anyway. So it was kind of my, peace you know that so i bailed and you either it's like even with the horses now i'm very happy where i am with them to get better at what i do i would have to sink more time into it at the expense of other things and mm -hmm. so that's kind of stopped me i'm happy where i am i get along with all my horses i can help people that come to me you know am i going to win any championships or blue ribbons <laughs> or go to any shows probably not you know and that's not important to me either at this point. Was there a period after you got going where you lost interest for a while? So 
this deep dive into relationship building with the horses, but the, and where you're at today, was there a period where you just kind of lost interest? Yeah, sure. Because you see, I think because it's another living creature that has every right to be alive as we do, in my opinion, that they just get the short end of the stick over and over and over. And they're really misunderstood. And it gets hard to witness that, you know, and it, and it gets hard to, I imagine the, like the, the big organizations of natural horsemanship, there's just people, they love horses, but they just have no talent for the training part. They just can't read the animal. They can't, um, they're afraid maybe a little bit. So they, that's part of it, but you get to find a way around it somehow. So yes, there was a low point, like, you know, what, if, why am I even like, putting a saddle on this beautiful animal, you know, why, 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 like, <laughs> why can't they just be, you know, why do they wait for me to throw them hay? Cause that's the only choice they have, you know, they're so yes, I, I kind of still go through periods of that where, mm -hmm. but I, you know, and then at the end of the day, I think that they like interaction somehow, you know, if they're not on 6,000 acres interacting in a survival way, they're different personalities. You know, I think there's a few that would be just like, leave me alone. I'm happy to hang out in this pen. It's safe. I have food and water, but there's others that want more interaction. Mm -hmm. and, um, those are the ones I would like to kind of move. Like here, this just happened yesterday. So I have a, I got it for a friend's horse of those rubber chickens that make noise when you squish oh, yeah. them. Uh -huh. And I don't know, they're always for sale in the horse categories in the feed store. So they must be like a toy for them. And so I bought it for another person's young horse that didn't like it. And so yesterday I rubbed some alfalfa juice on it and I threw it out in the pen where your horse is. And uh -huh. Because I have Abe is a very playful horse yes. and, and Caballero as well. And they all like instantly they see it. They're all spread out eating, I think. And at one at a time, I and I was just doing my chores and they one at a time they came up to check it out and Nobody, I was like, it was not over, you know, like nobody really cared. And then I'm down the row and who picks it up, but Firefly. Oh. And when, and so they're all kind of, they're all kind of like you go, you know, like you get in there, uh -huh. you touch it <laughs> and she picks it up and it squeaks. It makes a really kind of a squawk kind of thing. And she runs with it and they scatter and then they're all, she's running with it in her mouth and they're all like fish, like schooling around, you know, running with her. Caballero's a screamer. So he's yelling, screaming. And then, it then she dropped it. And, and then for, I don't know, an hour, they would come up and, and like paw it and it squeaks with very little contact and jump back and, you know, like entertaining themselves really with this rubber chicken. Aww. And, so today I'll take it out, wash it off, put it in a new place, and it'll be like a whole new yeah. game all over again. Oh. It was really funny. She was the most courageous. Yeah. Curious, yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah. She's moving up. She's because she's getting older, right? And, mm -hmm. and she's developing as a horse and as not or a mare and not a filly, you know, is getting her confidence and pushing yeah. back on some of the boys. And yeah, it's great. I love watching that. I love watching them interact, you know, and I've learned more from watching them than from any professional I've been to hmm. because the, how they interact with each other is the language that I'm trying to learn, you know? And, and yeah. so they already know it. And I'm just, I, like I watched, like I, that's a very, that's a funny interaction, but it also tells me a lot, you know, about that animal um, and the other guys around her too, <laughs> you know? So it's been like seven months, I think ish, six or seven months that she's been with us. I, so I had this thought, a girlfriend of mine that lives in Maine 
got a horse maybe like a few months ago, a new horse. And she was expressing kind of these expectations about what she felt like she should be able to do with this horse. And I just had this flashback to um, the farm where Tesoro used to be and watching the woman who owns that farm buy horses over the years and how long it actually took. You know, just thinking about the pace of my own journey mm -hmm. with, with certain things and relationship building and change and all of that. And, you know, I think as humans, we're always like kind of wanting it right now, right now, right yes. away. But to watch the horses, and I'd be curious what you think about this. My reflection was, whoa, it takes way longer than I, I Tesoro wouldn't even take a treat from me for the first six to 12 months. Had zero interest. He would just turn up his nose. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it just seems like it takes a lot longer than what, what, what I, I guess. What are your thoughts on that? Like from, um, well, it's, it's time, probably time's effort that you put into it and maybe correct effort would be, you know, it'll happen. It'll happen quicker if we spend seven days a week with them, which is kind of mm -hmm. what I did. So I was like, I'm not, I don't have enough time. I have to have a weekend job to pay for this whole production mm -hmm. and what what can give here what can give i had to buy a new truck you know to pull a bigger trailer and um i was maxed out and i'm like this this is not what i expected so something has to give and for me at that point it was the horses were so important that i got rid of everything else but that's just me that's not a normal i was you know i was single i don't have a family so it was easy to do and um but time you can, you can do it in a weekend i have a horse that i used with a student a a young high school kid and I don't really have um beginner horse I have beginner horse I have less now than I had and I have kind of medium advanced horses I don't really have a good stepping stone horse for those kids so they have to step up and take something that's a little hotter a little less controllable a little more opinionated maybe but over just I think one day a week on a Sunday she came every Sunday maybe 45 weeks out of the year and mm -hmm. this horse changed and it, wow. it took a couple of years, but you know, it was just, we just worked on what we could work on and I saw amazing changes and, and mm -hmm. that was n news to my brain because I'm of the, of the school of thought that dive in, get proficient, get efficient and proficient and then slow down. Mm -hmm. And, um, this was much slower paced, but I saw, I saw changes in that horse with her kindness, you know, and, and her attachment to people, um, her physical ability, her, her, what they call gymnastic ability, which is like flexibility in a horse, you know, they're used to going in a straight line. And, um, this was like lateral movement and just all kinds. And she, this horse, before we had her, she had, before we got her, Marcy bought her, uh, six owners in 12 years and mm -hmm. we got her when she was 12. And there was, I mean, there's a problem. Like nobody sells a horse if there's no problem, right? You sell one because you're look, there's a problem where you're looking for something better. And so she was very distrustful. Same, you know, she didn't want to be touched. She got really stiff when you walked up to her, you could halt to her, but it wasn't like, okay, I'll come with you. You know, what's, what's for, when it's, what's in it for me today? She was just resigned. And, and that, that disappeared too, you know, uh, even just scratching her, she tolerated it. And now she, you know, kind of comes into it and ask, comes to you and ask, you know, puts her body where she wants you to scratch her. So, but that took, if you're only going one day a week, a couple of years, you know, of, of, and especially a horse that you didn't raise mm -hmm. um, because it's got baggage somehow, you know.
So this was the high school student. You supported her in building this relationship over the course of two years? Yes. Yeah, yeah, probably more than that. Yeah. But um, two years to kind of get proficient with a, a bigger, better, more advanced horse and maybe less than that, really. And then now she could ride out and, and she's become a very good rider. And nothing, she could probably ride any horse. Yeah. Were you, so you're talking about the human and not the horse in this one. I'm just trying to clarify for my mind and the listener. Sure. So did you, uh, were you working with the horse outside of when this young woman was also? No. With, so it was only, only yeah, her. Was like, okay. It was a lesson, one hour lesson on Sunday morning. And uh, like I said, she came all year pretty much, you know, and that was it. And we did what we could do with that particular horse. And for a, a lot in the beginning, it wasn't riding. It mm -hmm. was, it was, getting her trust, getting her, um, quote unquote, obedience for some of the tech tasks, you know, teaching the student the techniques for this particular kind of horse. And I think it helps the, the student has a natural kindness too. like it, it wasn't um, hard for her to go down, you know, kids that show up that want to race around and just use the horse as a tool, they don't stay with us because that's not what we teach. And, mm -hmm. and um, this student was not like that. Did she, had she been working with you on beginner horse prior to this? Yeah, or did she I think it was Lobo. So okay. I, I still had Lobo. He's, he's only been uh, gone a few years and he became my beginner horse. So there was a moment with him where um, he, like he had just been waiting years for me to get it right. Yeah. Really like, <laughs> oh my God, he, he, uh, there's a whole thing about riding using your body. So I, I'm kind of come from a place of less energy. So the horse, it wasn't enough for the horse to hear what my body was doing. And some other people come from too much energy and, and too, um, kind of rough with them. And so for me, it was less. And so I, like, all I was trying to do was ride a circle and I'd put like a cone every two feet on a big giant circle. So I knew the diameter of that circle and he'd still be like going off and, you know, left and cut in. And it was just, my body wasn't giving him the circle. And when finally I figured that out, everything I had ever wanted to do riding came into place with him, like in one afternoon, hmm. because finally I gave him enough information through my body that he, he was like, he was saying, finally, you know, like, just tell me what you want. I'll be happy to do it. And so now for me, with my base energy level, I know where to go to talk to them through my body. Mm -hmm. um, and he was great as a beginner horse, for sure, with these kids. He was small and very low energy, so very tolerant, um, loved cookies. So I just had all my pockets bulged with cookies and I knew I could always get him back, you know, because they're still horses. I have a tough question. Well, I shouldn't, I, that's projecting. I would love to hear your opinion about energy, like your definition of energy, because this is something that I'm deeply fascinated with and playing with myself. Uh -huh. And we've talked a little bit about it in lessons. Uh, what, when you say energy, what does that mean to you? Like, is it a feeling? Is it a vi visualization? A little bit of both. What are you specifically playing with or accessing when you say energy? I think it's an intention, um, uh, like a physical manifestation of an intention. If I had to, I'd define it with such short notice. <laughs> you know, I'm fine. Not good go. with that. Yeah. <laughs> Tonight I'll wake up going, no. You'll have the, yeah, you'll have the clearest exactly right. how you would express it. Yeah. Right. I oh. Uh, yeah, I think it's a like a for me because I'm a physical. You know, I was 
I love sports and anything athletic, you know, hiking, mountain biking and testing my body, the energy come like if I if you keep drilling down, like what is the energy? It's a specific motion in my body that yes, it starts in my head, but somehow it's my butt sitting on the horse and my legs wrapped around him. And even if it's a very subtle thought, my body is still making a shift mm -hmm. and they pick it up. They're mm -hmm. very much more subtle. Most of the time we're screaming at them very loudly with what we want them to do. So I, in that, in that energy, I think can, you know, you could, if it's not around horses, I might call it something else, but I think it's like a physical intention for, for how I think about it. When you say dis, I, I just had this clear vision when you said, um, and that made me think about being disconnected, like yelling at them, asking for something, but then perhaps not being aligned within ourselves when we're saying we're, we're screaming, this is what I want, but like our inside, oh. our energetic being is saying something completely yeah, different. Exactly. Sure. I, I feel that in parenting too. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, wait a second. I'm disconnected from myself. How can I possibly actually express express this yeah it's right. coming out in this really loud way um but it's not what you but feel. it's not clear because yeah. i'm disconnected from myself sure sure my center so yeah I, you know i think we i mean if you really want to go down that road the, the being connected to all of life is an energetic connection and i believe fully that that's what where we're in we're at the, like the very beginning of kind of Sadly, we weren't going to live long enough to see it get any better. But I, you know, I think all of life is connected. I um, think so too. For sure. Uh, but what is that? You know, like, what is that? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. I can, it comes out my mouth out of my mind. But I think one of the beautiful things that horses teach is how to find that mm -hmm. in yourself. You know, they're not, you know, nobody's here just as a crapshoot, you know, like we all have something to work on and, and horses too, maybe, you know, I, the, some of the animal communicators, I've just read some books. I've never really talked to any, but I don't know. It seems legit to me. I don't question it. And, uh, they say a horse's greatest, um, vocation is to be a lesson horse, to teach people mm. how to be around them in a, in a right way. Mm. I always think about how that trickles out, like whenever one person learns that and then how that just the people that they affect, even if it's not through horses, that how that then gets um, shared, yeah, like radiates out to even more people. So yeah. one doesn't just mean one when thinking about us all being connected, because then I just feel like there are all these tentacles going out, reaching all these other yes. humans or animals. I know. Kind of keep adding to it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's pretty really. Cool. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I, and that's truly what I believe. That's how it works. And, and I can tell you, I have, I think we, right now we have 22 horses on our place. We board some in the winter and I have a distinct relationship with every single one of them. Mm -hmm. And it's different. They're all individuals. They all have a different way of expressing that connection with me. And some take like there's, there's one that, that, I've never seen before until this year. Um, she got here in this uh, Thanksgiving and just yesterday she came up to me and asked me to scratch her. So she's been used, right? People are, why would you want to be around people? You know, she can't understand when everyone else comes up and wants scratching. And, and finally yesterday she came up and she's turning loose. You know, that's what they call that. 
to that maybe people aren't so bad, or maybe this one guy's not so bad. (laughs) She'll start with you. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that because, uh, I mean, it happens over and over. Like you said, Tesoro didn't know know what a treat was. Mm -hmm. I'm like, my God, how do you get anything done without treats, you know? Like there's that whole, you know, method of training that's positive reinforcement only. That's treat training. And um, I use it like I'm not going to work for somebody that's not going to pay me, you know? (laughs) Sorry. And especially if it's, you know, I think a lot of what they do are they really made for us to be sitting in the middle of their back and and to ask them to do all these funny things with our weight in the middle of their back. You know, I think probably the, just my project, my projection and my perspective is that, you know, find that thing that connects you to them. And, and if it's a sport, go down the road. If it's a, something that like you find a horse that jumps everything you lay on the ground, you know, maybe that's what he likes doing. Mm-hmm. That's how Amanda feels about it. She tries to tune into what it is they want to do, how they want yeah. to spend their time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see yourself playing with horses the rest of your life? No. 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 All right. So what's Yeah, it's pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> so how do you have an exit plan or is that ev- currently evolving? Well, we're, we, I think if um, they were inanimate objects, I would have had a garage sale by now. And, you know, I've moved, I'm moving into, because I'm happy with my ability. I've done quite a bit of riding. I'm not so young anymore. And I've done tons of stuff that's been really hard on my body that I see where that's going if I keep doing it. So I'd like to slow down a bit. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, horses can be very dangerous. And like I found out this past summer and I've moved into this new product I have about finding the right saddle fit for the horses. So I'm an advocate for the horse till the end. And um, whether that means I I keep teaching and riding myself, that's another story. But we'll have the horses we have, their family. You know, I kind of came up through these farms and people teaching me mentors that you buy and sell. That was how you, you didn't own any horses because you weren't going to make any money if you owned a horse. And then you found them good homes that, right homes like if this one's energetic maybe he can run endurance you know this one is not maybe he can he can do a two minute raining pattern you know and but then i meet marcy and it was buy but don't sell so all of a sudden we had all these horses and now it'll just be attrition you know as they they're all god i think there's the oldest the youngest is 15 and i think the oldest is 22 at this point um so they're getting up there they can live to 40 nowadays if they if they get good care, so yeah, I know I can see totally like moving to a condo in the city somewhere as, as long as I have access to the mountains and um, I could be happy with that. I think I don't know. It's in my head, maybe because right now you know I know summer's coming and and the workload increases and the heat comes on and and it's difficult. It's a lot of work. Yeah. So, but right now I'm happy. And they make me happy. You know, I'm not, I'm more of an animal person than a people person. I always have been. And it's hard work, but I don't, it's not, I get to visit my friends, you know, and as I do it and uh, they like visiting with me and that's why it takes me so long to get anything done. <laughs> what are you currently reading though? Or just finished reading? Well, I just, um, sometimes I read a couple of books. So I bought a book on like a, um, I forget the title. It's something about Russia and it was written by a journalist who has since been killed for being a dissident of Russian politics. And she's just, they're just, it's not very good, but they're 
stories about real Russia. So I'm reading that, and then I'm also uh, rereading Carolyn Mace's Defy Gravity. Which, Ooh, I haven't um, read that one. She just uh, re... It's, it, it's probably from maybe the 90s? No, somewhere in the 2000s. And um, I've been studying with her for a long time. And I'm sure it came out, I devoured it and put it on the shelf, you know? But it's much more relevant. I don't remember reading it at all when I pull it out now. And it's really relevant to what's kind of happening in the world right now. And, mm, I'll have to um, pick that up. So, depending on what kind of flavor I want at night, I'll pick mm-hmm. one of those. <laughs> I do that too. Yeah. Multiple books at once. Yeah. Well, awesome. It's been so great having you on the podcast today. Is there anything that you feel like you really want to share with the listener uh, before we say goodbye today that you haven't already shared? I think that if there's something, if there's one thing I want people to latch on to, it's that you know, follow your passion, but then you can go, well, what is your path? You know, what is that? Drill that down. And I feel all of, all through my life that I've just had a kick-ass team of guides guiding me and going to that person's house with all the saddle, finding a saddle, the only saddle at a flea market mm-hmm. on the, I never went to a flea market and that doesn't, that's a synchronicity. You know, that doesn't happen mm-hmm. randomly. I don't feel like, and for my life, I think I just feel like it's been spectacularly easy and smooth. I mean, not without, you know, the usual. And that's because I'm tuned into those guides and, and I'm always saying thank you. You know, whether it's like when someone turns left in front of my motorcycle and I lock up the brakes and somehow I ended up not looking, like I looked at the hood of the car and like, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to go across the hood. And somehow I got to the other side of the car still on my bike. And I, you know, it skidded. And that wasn't me, you know, and and some guy like pulls up. He's like, good good riding, dude. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. (laughs) Had nothing to do with me. And things like that, like those are the obvious ones. But just all the little details of, um, you know, that I don't know how many they are. I hope I get to meet them someday and go, you guys just rocked. Hmm. I had a, here's a question for you. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. like, if you believe in reincarnation, would you rather come back for another life as like another human, you know, baby and child and all that? Or would you rather be a guide for somebody living the life? Ooh. If, you, if that's a possibility. If we get a choice. I mean, I guess that's very interesting because, and do we actually maybe get to do both? Like right. simultaneously, maybe. like I just wonder, because, you know, there's the, multiverse now yeah, that more, yeah. more because I've been thinking a lot about uh this life leading into the next and I guess in my head I was just considering that I would be having another life in another physical body but then that actually doesn't line up I've never considered this with the idea of spirit guides and thinking of the people that have passed not everybody actually, can have another physical life yeah but maybe I just had this idea okay. <laughs> as I was talking which is, it, it is actually both because there's the piece that goes on that's passed from this life. So there's the, for, for me, Angela Houghton, uh-huh. that when this, when I'm no longer in this physical form becomes a spirit guide, but then there's the soul that goes on for the next evolution or revolution. Oh, okay. I don't know. I'm just, so both. I'm just playing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know. Why not? That's the both. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I well, I've never, I've never thought of it that way. I Me, mean, I'm more of an either or. But, um, <laughs> uh, I'll think about that now. That I don't know. It sounds, it sounds difficult. <laughs> uh, 
it's twice the work. <laughs> but maybe not because there's you're not doing right. But there maybe there is a connection because we're we're connected whether we're aware of it or not. But it's not like you're trying to manage both. Right. Right. You know? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I it might I don't know. I think this life can be like I feel this life has been so great that there's surely a, it won't be that way the next time. You know, it's like it's it's too it's too easy that maybe I'm due, you know, for something oh. terrible, tragic. But then also trying to convince somebody to like quit their job or leave a relationship that needed to happen, you know, I think that would drive me crazy too. As a guy. As a guy, yeah. You know, like, will you just do what I say, please? <laughs> but only, my understanding is only if you're asked. So I guess maybe that's the torture of waiting yes, to be asked. waiting to be asked, right? Yeah. I, I can fix this for you, you know. But maybe you're just cruising around, like playing with your dogs yeah, and other right. like, people doing cool things. and Right. Yeah. You know, who knows? We'll out, yeah, huh? that's <laughs> the one be, thing nobody can tell us. More will be revealed. Um, well, thanks again, Mel. Yeah, no problem. So it's okay. such a joy to hear your story, and <laughs> yeah, just to have this conversation with you. It means a yeah, lot. Yeah, it was to great. Me. Super yeah. fun. Thank you, Mel. Do it again. All right, let's do it again. <laughs> do it. Let's two years. Two okay. years. I'll put it in my calendar. <laughs> okay, for an update. All right. I had so much fun having Mel on the show today. Here are a couple of my takeaways. The first, don't be afraid to get the saddle before you get the horse. I loved this story so much. And I feel like you can really apply this to anything. So take whatever it is that you are passionate or curious about. And is there a piece of it that you can commit to or take one step uh, with? So, you know, I, it takes me back to Matt Cherry's episode. Our first episode really sounded like he got the bike and then was inspired to ride. So having the bike inspired him to ride. And it makes me think of, you know, people that, you know, inherit piano or are suddenly like are living in a place with a piano and suddenly, you know, they find themselves, you know, curious about playing. So don't be afraid to get the saddle before you get the horse. And then the other is to allow yourself to be guided. So Mel shared the story and it just, as I was listening to it, I was like, wow, that's commitment, buying the land and then, you know, doing this huge commute. And when I really slowed down and listened more, I felt inspiration. And when he shared at the end, he was talking about just being super grateful for his guides and trusting them and feeling a lot of gratitude for the way that he's been guided on his path and the evolution of his journey. So thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Ritual of Practice podcast. You can find the show home at ritualofpractice.com. Follow us on your favorite listening platform to receive weekly inspiration for your practices. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you love. Until next time, keep practicing.